Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. At all, that we were doing a series in David and that has come to an end. And um, we've now got a couple of weeks before our weekend. So just, a, a, I suppose, a little bit of what's going on. We've got a couple of weeks before our weekend uh, where I'm going to speak. Then at our weekend, you know that John and um, others from Beulah are going to come and join with us for that. Then at the beginning of June, we have Daniel McLeod, who is going to be coming and speaking. He's on the Regions Beyond international team and he's going to be planting a church into central London in September. And then on the 10th of June, we have uh, a lady called Donna Bloomfield who's going to be coming and speaking to us. And she is also on the Regions Beyond international team and um, has been involved in planting churches in Burundi and other places. And on that same day, we have Linvoy Primus coming along as well and he's going to be hanging out with our youth. So um, there's things coming up. But these next two weeks, um, I'm going to do a couple of weeks on this phrase, the church that we are becoming. And and really, this came out of a conversation that I never had. It was a conversation that Phil had when he met with Bill and Jen to talk about Sundays And they were talking about all the challenges and all the things and the kids' work and how are we doing it and what are we going to do. Um, And really, those conversations were probably different to what we had ever had in our previous church experience. Um, And Jen said something like this to Phil. um, We're not just planning for the church that we've been or the church that we are, but the church that we are becoming. And Um, He found that helpful and actually that phrase really resonated with me because when you think about the kind of church we're becoming or the kind of person you're becoming, um, you don't always know the kind of adjustments that you have to make or what to expect. And I was reminded this morning as I thought about that of the story of the Apostle Paul who went from being a persecutor to an apostle. And I just want you to imagine for a moment, if you know that story, Paul, um, he persecutes the church. He's involved in the death of Stephen. And in fact, after the death of Stephen, the Bible says a great persecution comes out onto the church. And Paul goes from Jerusalem to Damascus to, to gather Christians and take them and send them into prison. And I want you to imagine what it must have been like to be Paul the morning that he woke up when he goes to Damascus, he was one of the, if you like, the brightest stars among the Pharisees. He had spent time with some key leaders and he was now beginning to emerge, if you like, in that realm. And what it must have been like for him that morning when he arose from his bed and he saddled his horse and he got with his colleagues and they headed towards Damascus. Because Paul at that point would not have known the kind of person he was going to become. All he knew was, I'm going to be persecuting uh, these people. And he goes off and uh, we know what happens, or, or maybe you don't know what happens. What happens is he is thrown from his horse because of bright lights and voices coming from heaven. And in that moment, he encounters the living Lord Jesus and he gets saved. He's changed in that moment. 
And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he makes reference to this. Um, here we go again. The thing happens every week, doesn't it? The Bible, the smallness of the words. And uh, I do actually have reading glasses, but the idea of having to keep changing the glasses just seems a bit ludicrous. Um, In in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, it says this. um, uh, Then, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he writes these words, Then he, that is Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And that was on the road to Damascus. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why don't I deserve to be called an apostle? Because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And if you like, that, that's the phrase that kind of, speaks of the church we're becoming the grace of God in Paul's life was not without effect and ultimately that effect took Paul from being a persecutor of the church to the greatest defender the church ever had and it was the grace of God in him that was not without effect and so the kind of church that we are becoming is dependent on a couple of things it is very much dependent on our responsiveness to the grace of God in us. That if you do not respond to the grace of God in you or the opportunities that God provides for you, you may not become the kind of person that Paul became, which was so, so very different to the kind of person you would have guessed he would become. Yeah? Is your life going to be something that you can guess? Oh, I kind of know where it's going. I know what I'm doing. Or because of the grace of God to you, will there be an effect in your life that is so different to what you might imagine? And so um, we're just going to do a couple of weeks just looking at that. And um, in recent weeks and months, a number of people, even up until Thursday night where Donovan and then Pauline spoke to me, have talked about the story of Gideon. They've just mentioned it prophetically and even before Christmas. So uh, then on Friday morning when I got into the office early, I I thought, right, I'm going to look at Gideon and uh, that may be what God is speaking to me about for this Sunday. And so that is what I've done. So we're going to look at the story of Gideon. I'm not actually going to read lots of verses. I'm going to tell you the story as best I can remember it. And then I'm just going to raise some points from it. So I'm just going to pray that God would help me with this, uh, this, this, this morning. Father, I, I thank you that your presence is here with us. And I thank you as always, Lord, the Holy Spirit is here to speak into our hearts if we would be open to him. And Lord, I do pray that we would be a people and individuals for which the grace of God would not be without effect. I do pray for that for us, God, that we would not become what our lives appear to be if we add them up day by day, but they would become what they could become where the grace of God has had an impact and an effect on us. I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The story of Gideon is uh, uh, a very well-known story in the Bible. It's the 
it, it happens in the, the beginning of the book of Judges. I think it's Judges chapter 6. Judges is that book of the Bible. Um, the end of Joshua, Joshua dies at the end of Joshua. The Israelites have inherited the land. They're in the land. Now, they don't have a king. They don't have a prophet. And uh, they're kind of living there, but they're kind of doing evil and doing good and all this kind of thing. And so occasionally, God sent to them judges, people who would come and who would speak the word of God, who would deliver them from uh, their enemies and would point them in the right direction. And they would live good for a while and then they would go down again and God would have to send another judge and all those kinds of things. And Gideon is among those judges. He's one of those. And his story begins in Judges chapter 6. You remember, it's quite sad really, all the promises that were made to the Israelites through Joshua by Judges chapter 6, they are oppressed by the Midianites. They are fearful, they are frightened and he is threshing uh, wheat in a wine press. And so we don't need to overplay that, but, but simply to say he's hiding. He's, he's trying to thresh wheat in order that he can make bread, but he's doing it, he's hiding, because the Midianites were coming regularly and just taking off all their stuff. And so uh, that's the context in which God comes to Gideon, that the Israelites are oppressed by the Midianites. Um, secondly, the, and because of that, God sends a prophet. He says, well, I'm going I'm to come to the people. And then Gideon, as he threshes wheat in a wine press, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says... Um, you know, get up, mighty warrior. He calls him by name. He, get up, mighty warrior. And, uh, and Gideon, obviously, at first, is like, I don't quite understand that kind of, you know, what you call him, me mighty. It was, I remember when I uh, was a teenager and I played football, and every now and then people would refer to me as if I were a professional footballer. I don't know why they did that, but occasionally they would say, oh, I mean, you play like Pele or something like that. And I'd be, I know, but, you know, I'm... You know, we didn't quite follow the same path in life. And this must have been Gideon when God said to him, mighty warrior. But it's interesting, Gideon, for all the oppression of the Midianites, he hasn't lost the reality of the promise. So his answer to God wasn't, who me, what do you think I am? His answer is, if that's true, why is all this happening? If, if you're calling me, why, why has all this happened to the people? So it's almost like there's confusion. You know that kind of confusion you have when you still believe God, but what you're believing about God and from God is not happening. You're saying, God, if this is true, why this? This was where Gideon was. If that's true, God, why? And you can often have, you can ask that question over many, many things. You could call it fragile faith. Gideon's faith was fragile. He had faith. He still trusted. He still believed. But it was fragile because he couldn't understand the situation he was in in relation to the promises that he knew. He couldn't understand. But God speaks to him. He comes to him. And it's very interesting what God does when he wants to do a work among his people, the first thing he does is he gets them to cleanse their own house. It's the first thing he does. It happens often. So when he speaks to Gideon, and, he, and, and then they end up in this interaction, that same night, God says to Gideon, cleanse your house of idols. Sort it out. 
It's almost like, yes, there is this promise, there are things I want to do, but I'm not going to do them until you sort out your house. And Gideon, though he has fragile faith, he's also fearful. He's not just fearful of the Midianites, he's fearful of his own family. And so at night time, he gets his servant friends or his servants and he says, come, 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 we've got to take down the idols, we've got to remove the Asherah pole and we've got to set up an, an altar for the Lord. Yeah, I want you to do it, but just don't, 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 don't tell anyone. His faith is fragile, but it's faith. It is faith. And God can use faith, as we know, even as small as a mustard seed. So Gideon becomes obedient to God in that he cleanses his house of the idols. Everyone wakes up the next day and they say, my goodness, what's happened to the Baal God that we had right here? Where's he gone? And they're asking all sorts of questions around it. And you, Gideon's not there at that point. He's hot-footed away. Then we notice, and it's interesting we notice this in Judges, that Gideon begins to pray. Now, I'm not saying that he'd never prayed, but the Bible records Gideon said to God. And that must have been unusual at that time because they didn't even worship God. They worshipped Baal. They weren't even worshipping God. But he says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand. Yeah? He's recognising this faith, this growing faith. God has, he's called me mighty warrior, I don't fully understand it, but actually God has spoken to me in such a way that I'm beginning to believe he might want to save Israel through me. Fragile faith begins to grow. There's a couple of times he prays that and God answers him. He begins to pray, he begins to grow in faith. Now, the beginning of Judges chapter 7, so Gideon, he becomes, he becomes a bit brave and he, he, I think he, he blasts out a trumpet or he makes a big call and numbers of the fighting men of Israel come and gather to him. And at the beginning of chapter 7, it says that he gathers an army. There is a gathered army. All the fighting men in Israel gather to Gideon from a certain number of tribes. It wasn't all the tribes. Yeah? And there were 32,000 of them. And we know that, 32,000 of them. Now, we know within that 32,000, we'll now discover there wasn't a lot of faith. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of real faith. There wasn't a lot of real belief in what God could do. And God says to him, Gideon, you have too many men. Now, I can imagine... If I had been Gideon and God said that to me, because if those 32,000 gathered to me, I'd be thinking, whoa, yeah. I mean, God, we, yeah, you want us to take, we can take them. Look, look at this, God, look at, I can't, as far as the eye can see, yeah? And you would become braver, yeah? You would kind of indicate your braveness towards God, but in reality, it's because you've got 32,000 people. Bravery comes there. Yeah, if you led a church of 32,000 people, you would think to yourself, do you know what, God, you, you probably come and knock on my door. Can I ask you some questions? Though? Do I need to understand how did you... 32,000 people. And God says to him, Gideon, you have too many men. And I can imagine Gideon, did I hear that right? Did God really say that there are too many of us? God was not interested in numbers of people. Hallelujah. 
God was not interested in the numbers of people. God made it very clear to Gideon at that moment. Gideon, let me just let you know here. There is going to be a great victory. But this victory is going to be achieved in such a way that no one will ever doubt it was me. And Gideon goes, oh, I thought we were like maybe partnering in this. I thought we got some, maybe some kind of contract. No, 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 Gideon, you just need to know this is my victory. And people won't, they, you might not even get mentioned in the victory, Gideon. Yeah, that was kind of what God was making. You have too many men for this victory to be seen as mine. Yeah, so you look out on 32,000, you get them to shout some things out, they're hollering, they're whatever. If you've ever been to a football match, it's amazing what you can get 30,000 people to do together. They're hollering and they're shouting. And then Gideon has to say to them, sorry guys, I've just got to let you know, if you tremble with fear, you can leave. And suddenly he realises 22,000 of those men were not the big soldiers he thought they were. They trembled. They were fearful. And so 22,000 men leave. Two-thirds of the fighting men. They go. They turn back. I remember, again, let me just give you a really silly, uh, simple example of when I, obviously when I played football, it wasn't the highest level. In fact, it was a very low level of football. Um, but there were occasions when you played in a team, and I'm sure it still happens today, where I thought we would win, not because I was in the team, but because somebody else was in the team. Have you ever had that? You've, you've been in a situation where you think, oh, well, at least, we've got, at least I've got Messi in my team. Yeah? If I've got Messi in my team, we have a chance of winning. It's absolutely nothing to do with me if I've got Messi in my team. Now, imagine if I had Messi in my team and Messi turned out to be one of the 22,000 who left. Suddenly, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I thought because of this person or that person, we were going to be, we were going to take it, we were going to make it. Now the very person I had put my confidence in has gone. Those who tremble with fear can leave. So then Gideon is down to 10,000 men. And it's interesting, among those 10,000, there's faith, but not a lot of it. And Judges 7 tells us um, uh, that God says to Gideon, separate those. Separate those. And we know from the story that there's a very unique way that the people are separated out. And 300 men remain, are separated out. So 9,700 who didn't tremble with fear, but there was something else that they didn't quite have, were separated away. You can go. You can go. And God says, I can do it with this. I can do it with this. There was something unique, something distinctive about those 300. They're never named. They're just called the 300 and then they become the 100 in groups and that's it. They're not named. But we know that they did not tremble with fear. We know that. We know that God separates them out. We know from their actions later that they were courageous, faithful and obedient. We know that. 
We know that they stood out because of the way they drank the water. They stood out from their brothers. We know that they were not the kind of footballer who was relying on the next footballer for victory. We know that. We know that. The truth is this group made up less than 1% of the fighting men in Israel. Now, isn't that interesting? The chosen people of God, the Israelites, given the promised land, were about to battle their enemy, and God reduces the number of the fighting men to less than 1% of the people. It's almost like saying that God may have, there may well be, I don't know, 2 million Christians in the UK. Let's say there were 2 million Christians in the UK, but God might go, do you know what? Amongst those 2 million, there is some faith, but it's not all faith. Amongst those 2 million, there are some that are for me, but they're not all for me. And God reduces and he reduces and he reduces until he gets what he wants. He gets the faith. Less than 1%. Then it's interesting what he does. Gideon says, right, I'm going to divide you up into three companies. There's going to be 100 here, 100 here, and 100 here. 100 is with him. But what you find with these men is there was enough about them, enough courage, enough faith, enough desire to be obedient. They didn't need to be next to Gideon. It wasn't like, well, I want to be in Gideon's 100. God didn't call people who wanted to be in Gideon's hundred. He called people who had faith. Their reliance was not on Gideon, it was on God. And then it's interesting because what they are asked to do is really simple. God reduces 32,000 men to 300, but their task is not like a difficult task. It wasn't like, oh, I need these 300 because they have a master's in this particular act of warfare and we need that act of warfare. What they're being asked to do is very, very simple. You know, they're, they're asked to hold these lanterns and to crash the pots and to make some noise. That's what they're being asked to do. Gideon says to them, watch me. Follow my lead, do exactly what I do. Oh, I would have thought if you had got the, the real specialists, the real set-apart ones, you'd have a big task for them. No, watch me, follow my lead, do exactly what I do. What God was interested in, wasn't the, it wasn't the thing that they did that was important, it was the faith that they had. It was the obedience that they possessed. That was what God was wanting. He wasn't interested so much in the task. It's, I need those who will be obedient. I need those who will follow. Victory was achieved by simple obedience and a unique level of faith. That was it. That was what separated them out from their brothers. It wasn't that they had special skills. It wasn't that they were special soldiers. It was that they had faith and they were willing to be obedient. I've realised as people have spoken and talked about um, Gideon in and around Beacon that for us to embrace the church that we are and the church that we are becoming we need faith. 
You need faith. And you don't need the faith of the 32,000. Where, if we're honest, some of the faith is based in the numbers of people that are around us and the quality of the thing that's in front of us. Yeah? And we don't know that's where our faith is based until those things are gone and then we kind of think, oh, I'm not entirely sure. We need faith. And faith always begins by God bringing you back to his ways. That's what he does here in Judges. He takes Gideon back. He says, I want you to, I want you to get rid of the idols. I want you to do some heart work, Gideon. We need to hold true to what we believe. And Gideon's faith at that first point is fragile. Because when God, when God calls him and speaks of him as a mighty warrior, he doesn't dismiss it, but he, and he doesn't just accept it. He questions it. God, if it's true, why this? And we need to have that kind of response. God, if what you're saying about us is true, why this? If what you've promised me is real, why is this happening, God? That's fragile faith. It is faith, though. It's fragile faith. We need to have the same characteristics that we see in the 300. They were fearless. They were set apart. They stood out in the crowd. They were courageous. And they were obedient. Is that what we are? Is that what we want to become? For the kind of church that God has called us to be, we need those things. Because you will know, if you come to Beacon for more than two or three weeks, that at times Beacon can be hard work. If you were to add up, if you're on the setup team, how many chairs over a year you've put out, it's lots. You on the creche, how many kids you've held and it's lots. It requires faith. You almost have to do everything you do at Beacon by faith. And let's be honest, that's not always the case. I can I've been to church in the past and there's been no faith. But at Beacon, you need faith. You need to be fearless. You need to be willing to be set apart and to stand out in the crowd and church not be what you think it ought to be. And that it brings a challenge to you that maybe you were not expecting. That's what it happens here. But stories like Gideon are there to show us and help us that such faith can be achieved when we look to God when we follow God. A fearless disposition. A willingness to be used. Sometimes in life we think being used is a negative. Oh, you, he used me. She used me. They used me. But you know what? God uses you all the time. Yeah? God uses you. Unashamedly. If someone said, okay, I don't want anyone to use me and then use me and then not, and then not give me any credit. God does that with us all the time. He uses you for his own ends. And actually, that is something to be embraced. That is something to say, oh, thank you, Lord. He uses me for his own ends, for his own glory. He is not interested in my glory. He's not interested in my dreams. 
He uses me to fulfill his purposes. With Gideon, we see that courageous faith leads to courageous obedience. So will you be courageous in faith and therefore courageous in obedience? Will you be, like we said of the Apostle Paul, that the grace of God to you will not be without effect? That what you end up doing is far, far and away more than you ever would have thought or imagined you could achieve because you have come to him. And then we see that Gideon has this grace-filled response in battle. So the 300, they, um, they, they, they win this battle against the Midianites and then he calls all the other soldiers of Israel come and join in the kind of victory. Come and help us. We've, we've won, but come and help us finish the job. That's grace. Yeah? Those that trembled with fear still got involved. That's grace to us. God is calling us as a church to be and have this spirit that Gideon had. That we would be people of faith. We would be people who are clear about what we believe. We would hold on to truth. We would recognise, okay, at times I need to stand out. I need to be separated out. I need to be strong. And all I need to do is to be willing to be obedient and I can be used. It's wonderful. It's releasing. It's, it's burden freeing because sometimes we carry burdens that are not ours to carry. We worry about things that are not ours to worry about. There comes a point where you go, do you know what, I'm not, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'll trust him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this example, this wonderful example of Gideon. I thank you, Father, when we read stories of ordinary people in the Bible that you use, it gives us faith that ordinary people can be used today. Father, I thank you that um, whilst Gideon is named, there is a nameless 300 who were fearless and faithful and obedient. And they were involved in such a great victory. And Father, we acknowledge here that we are few in number. We do not have the 32,000 or the 300. We are few in number, but you have made promises to us. And Lord, we are trusting that you would fulfil those. And that the thing you've actually called us to do is really quite simple. It's to be obedient. It's to do what you say. It's to watch. It's to follow your lead. So Father, I pray for that. I pray that you would bring to individuals here faith. Father, where the faith is fragile and we're grappling with questions, I pray that you would strengthen it. And Father, that you would grow it. And Lord, I ask that courageous faith would lead to courageous acts of obedience. I pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, 
please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.